Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen. Joshua chapter 2, I'm reading verses 2 through 5 from the New International Version. Choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe. Tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing. Carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay. The next verse goes on to say, So Joshua called them together, the 12 men he appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of Israel. Father, we thank you today for your presence. We know you're here because you said where two or three are gathered in your name, there I will be in the very middle of them. So we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you're in this room. We thank you that the Holy Spirit has come with an assignment for every person here today. And I pray now that you'd open our hearts, open our minds, let us receive the word that brings transformation, that brings healing, that brings reconciliation, that brings restoration into our hearts and into our lives. We ask this of you in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have ever went on a trip or visited a place and brought back a souvenir of some type? Anyone besides me? Yeah, I, I, I knew ladies when I was growing up that... We didn't travel much. We were too poor out in western Oklahoma. But we had friends that were a little better off, and they would travel. There was one lady that I knew that she collected these little bitty tiny spoons. Have you seen them? They had the names of the states on them. She had a whole shadow box full of those spoons. And I thought as a kid, well, that's interesting, but why in the world would you do that? Surely there's something better than spoons. And then I went to another friend's house, and his mom collected these little bitty tiny bells. They weren't for any purpose. They wouldn't ring, but they had the name of state on them. She was a bell collector. Maybe she was a dingbat. You never know. Anyway, people collect things, souvenirs. They bring them. They keep them as a way of remembering what they saw, where they were, the experience they had. The cost of the souvenir is absolutely pointless. It just doesn't matter. It's the memory that's behind them that matters. It's what it brings to mind every time they look at that souvenir that has impact in their lives. I believe that all of us at one time or another have things that cause us to remember, to look back where God has brought us from, what God has done for us. If you've ever been in my office, and by the way, my door is open, you're welcome to come by anytime, have a cup of coffee with me. If you've ever been in my office, you want to put that first picture up on the wall for me, please, uh, Wendy? you'll see something that looks just like this. It's a shadow box that hangs on the wall of my office, and it says, Hokahei 2018, a good day to die. That's exactly what Hokahei means. It's the Sioux war cry. And it was the war cry that Sitting Bull used when he and his soldiers with the Northern Cheyenne attacked the 7th Cavalry at the Little Bighorn. It means a good day to die. I put that up there because on the Hokahei, it's the longest endurance motorcycle ride in the world. And just a side note, I get my motorcycle back this afternoon. Everybody said, hooray! Well, I did anyway. I'm thrilled it finally arrived in Tallahassee. 
I rode 10,438 miles in 12 days, slept on the ground at night. It was the worst, best thing I've ever done in my life. But it tells me that with God's help, by God's grace, through God's strength, there is nothing that will come into my path that he will not enable me to overcome. And because of that, come real close with that camera, would you please? Get this coin. I carry this coin with me everywhere I go. It never leaves my pocket except when I change my clothes. This coin reminds me when things are hard, when I don't have any answers, when I don't know what to do, there is a God in the heaven that has an answer for me, that has a remedy to my problem, that will see me through and lead me to victory. You may not have a hoka hey shadow box, but there is something in your life that reminds you God is able. Put that next picture up, please. Also on the wall of my office, I have this wall. I call it my weapons wall. These things are from around the world. The bow and arrow, the dart gun, those are from the Amazon. You'll see a throwing tomahawk there that was made for me about 40 years ago uh, to honor my Cherokee heritage. It's handmade. You'll see a uh, war club from the Peruan Incans that's hanging on that wall. You'll see a powder horn that was made for me, inscribed with my name, reminding me of my heritage. You'll see a dagger from Israel. On and on I could go, but all those things are a reminder of where I've been. And when I look at them, I remember what God did in each and every one of those circumstances. Put up that next slide, please. When I look at this wall, I'm reminded that David took five stones and killed Goliath. I'm reminded that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I'm reminded of all that God can do. There's a spearhead there. There's an arrowhead there. And then at the bottom, let's see, I'm going to get over here. So bottom left, there's an actual stone, a slingshot stone. All those came directly from Israel. They remind me of what God has done and what God will do. All of us have things that trigger memories in our lives. Memories of places, memories of people, memories of what God has done. The prayers God has answered. Listen, when David went up against Goliath, the slingshot was not his first weapon. It was his second weapon. His first weapon was when he said to Saul, King Saul, that giant will fall because the same God who allowed me and delivered me from the lion and from the bear is the God who will deliver me and bring victory over this circumstance as well. He remembered what God had done and it gave him courage and strength and faith to charge into the battle. We all have memories, but sometimes when we're facing new battles, Sometimes when we're facing unfamiliar circumstances. Sometimes when what's in front of us seems so, seems so grand, so large, so big, we'll never get through it, we'll never get around it, we'll never get over it. In those times, we forget what God has done in the past. But may I tell you, my friend, it doesn't matter what you're facing today. It doesn't matter how large it looms. It doesn't matter how great it seems. It doesn't matter the power of, of devastation that is contained in that obstacle. My God is able to see you through. And when you're in those circumstances, you need to look back and you need to remember. 
Don't forget what God has done in the past, but allow those memories to build faith in your heart and confidence within you that God is going to move you through it. it Moses said to Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 12, be careful. He's telling them when you go into the promised land, be careful not to forget the God who rescued you. Be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of slavery. When we read our text this morning, we know there were 12 men chosen, each one to select the largest stone they could carry physically. I thought about that, and I kind of doubt they selected the guy that was five foot tall, don't you? Weighed 120 pounds. I think they found the biggest man in every tribe, the strongest guy they had. Maybe he was seven feet tall, I don't know, but he was big. And they said to him, pick up the biggest stone out of the bed of the Jordan that you can possibly carry and take it to the other side. We're going to make camp tonight. We're going to stay for the first time in the land that was promised to you by God. Now, we read those stories and we wonder, what does that really mean? And I know, and you should know, that God doesn't have to explain himself to us. But I really love it when he does. And in our text this morning, he takes the time to explain himself to us. There's three reasons he told the Israelites to do this. Number one, he wanted them to remember and to focus on the rescue, not on the slavery. I don't know who that's for this morning, but someone listening, someone watching, someone in this room needs to hear it. You need to change your perspective from what you went through to the God who brought you through. You need to remember who he is and what he has done. You need to recall the mighty works of the living God and all that he's done in you and through you. He wanted them to focus on the rescue, not on the slavery. You know, there were slaves in Egypt. They worked like dogs. They had to make bricks for things that they would build. Someone said, did they build the pyramids? I don't know. But I know they built cities that they never lived in. They built houses that they would never occupy. They built roads and streets that they would never go down. They were building all this for another master, for someone else to enjoy, for someone else to use. And on another side, at one point when the women of the Hebrews became pregnant, if she delivered a male child, that child was thrown into the Nile River and allowed to die because the Egyptians were afraid they would outnumber them and eventually overtake them. So they killed their children. Kind of put a bookmark right there. I'm going to come back to that thought in a few minutes. I want you to remember the Egyptians were so afraid of the Hebrews outnumbering them and overtaking them that their solution was to kill all the male children that were born. So in verse 7, it says, these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. Those 12 stones stacked one on top of another. I don't know how big they were, but I know they were tall. If they were the biggest stone a man could carry, maybe they were three or four foot tall and the same in width. I don't know. But they carried them out of the bed of the Jordan and they stacked them one on top of the other at Gilgal as a reminder to the generations who would follow them. They were set in place to remind them of the rescue God performed 
bringing them out of slavery. Let me say it again. It's time to remember the rescue and forget about the slavery. It's time to remember what God has done and forget about the pain of going through it. Oh, I like to say it this way. Don't tell me about the chain of pain of childbirth. Just show me the baby. Come on, that's what we need to get. Show me the baby. Show me the result. Show me what God has done. Don't tell me about all you went through. Tell me about the God who brought you through. As a memorial, as a reminder of the rescue that had taken place. Today we read that story and we think, but it doesn't apply to us. We're not in slavery. Well, I beg to differ. I beg to differ. There are a lot of people that are bound that are living in chains, that are not free. A lot of people are bound to addictions, to drugs, to alcohol, to other substances that should never enter the human body because they destroy and they don't build life. They don't promote the temple of God and keep it holy and keep it clean. You realize that Florida has one of the highest death rates from overdose from drugs as any state in the United States. Florida is a place where, on a regular basis, every single day, at least seven people die from drug overdose. That's not to count those who die from alcoholism and alcohol poisoning, or those who are killed by drunk drivers running down our roads and our highways. People say in our culture, but alcohol, that's not an addictive substance. Wake up and smell the coffee. It certainly is an addictive substance. It will destroy your life. Say, I drink in moderation. Listen, anytime you open the door to the devil, you're opening the door and giving him an opportunity to get a toehold, which becomes a stronghold, which becomes a stranglehold, which destroys your life. We need to be wise. We need to understand the things the world promotes are not meant to help us. They're meant to destroy us. They're not meant to enable us to become believers and move forward. In God, they're meant to destroy our lives and separate us from God. Maybe you or your family have been trapped in addiction of some type. But I'm here to tell you, there's a lot in this room, a lot online, a lot that we'll watch in the days and weeks ahead who will stand up and say, I once was bound, but now I'm free. I once was an addict, but now I'm delivered. I once was an alcoholic, but that ain't me anymore. I found that through the blood of Jesus Christ, I have been set free. Matter of fact, let's do this. If you're in this room and you've been delivered from an addiction, there is no shame in this. Because we're giving glory to God. You've been delivered and set free. Just stand your feet right now across this room. If you're in your living room, stand up right now. Come on, give God glory. Give God honor. Living proof, evidence of what God can do in our lives. Oh, somebody ought to be shouting right now, giving honor and glory to the King. I'm here to tell you, look around. Hand those cameras around, would you please? Look around and declare, I am no longer a slave. I've been rescued. I've been set free. The blood of Jesus has broken every chain. I'm not the man. I'm not the woman I used to be. I am a man of God, a woman of God, and I'm living clean by the blood of Jesus. Come on, give him a hand again. Give Jesus a hand. Set free. Delivered. He doesn't want you focusing on the addiction. He wants you to focus on the rescue. 
Focus on the redemption. Focus on what God has done in your life. This scripture says, These stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. Now, God didn't say to them, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to pry one of those bricks you made out of a wall. And I want you to carry it with you for the rest of your life so that you will remember your slavery. No, that's not what he said. He said, I want you to take 12 stones. I want you to get the biggest ones you can carry. And I want you to pull them out of the bed of the Jordan. Why out of the bed of the Jordan? Why not from the banks of the Jordan? Because God performed a mighty miracle that day. You can read the scripture. The waters rolled back at flood stage and stood up like a wall. And the ground became dry in front of them across that riverbed. Oh, it was to remind them that your God can do anything. There is nothing too hard for him. He said, instead, bring the stones from the dry ground. Remember the rescue. Listen, you may be in this room or you may be watching this morning and you're still in that place of bondage. I'm going to tell you, this church is not going to beat you up because of your hangups, because of your addictions, because of the things you are struggling with. We are not going to condemn you. But rather, we're going to show you grace. We're going to show you mercy. We're going to show you a new way. We're going to give you a way out. We're going to show you there's hope for your life. No matter how far you've sunk, there is a God who redeems and rescues you and sets your feet on the rock of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We're good preaching. Amen. God wants you to remember the rescue, not the slavery. So with that in mind, let me ask you this question. What are you teaching the generations that are following you? What are you teaching your grandkids and your kids? How are they remembering your life? Will they remember that you constantly complained about how hard life is? Or will they remember that in difficult times, their mom, their dad, their grandma, their grandpa, their aunt, their uncle stood up and said, I don't care what I'm going through. My God's going to see me through and I'm going to give him glory and honor where there seems to be no way of escape. My God always makes a way of escape. He never puts on me more than I can bear. And there is relief. There is hope. There is regeneration through the power of the living God. What will they remember? Will they remember you dwelt on the pain? Will they remember all you talked about was your diagnosis? Or will they remember you said, I serve the God who heals me. I serve the God who even yet today is well able. What are you teaching the next generation? When it comes to your finances, will they remember that you said, I'm going to be faithful to God because God is always faithful to me. That you said, I can never outgive the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That you said, I'm going to lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt, where thieves do not break through and steal. Will they remember in hard times, you said, my God shall provide. What are they going to remember? Or will they remember you saying, I'm never going to get out of debt. I'm never going to own a home. I'm never going to drive a car that's newer than 20 years old. Or are they going to remember that every day 
You thank God for the food on your table, the clothes on your back, the roof over your head, the sustenance that he provided. What are you teaching the next generation? Because those 12 stones were all about teaching the next generation. Reminding them of what God said he would do. God wants you to focus on the rescue, not the slavery. Number two, God wants you to pass this message to future generations. What message? A message of rescue. A message of redemption. Why is that important? It's important because when you see people that are in the same situation that you were in, they need to know from your own words and your lifestyle that indeed there is a God who breaks addictions, who sets people free, who alters the course of our life, who allows us to walk in grace and mercy and favor, who enables us to be the men and women of God He created us to be. Oh, it's time, church, to stop hiding behind the cluster and the shell of, but I'm timid, I'm shy, I don't want to talk about it. And it's time to let the boldness of the Holy Ghost fill your heart and fill your mouth and stand up and declare, I once was bound, but now I'm free. I once drank myself almost to death, but today the touch of alcohol, the smell of alcohol is repulsive to me. I once wanted and craved the drugs, but today God has delivered me, broke the chain and set me free once and for all. He's looking for people who will be bold enough to say, this is what God has done for me, who will declare His mighty power to the generation following us. See, the simple truth is life is much bigger than you and me. Twice in this chapter, there is a reminder to the elders, to the parents, to the grandparents of the responsibility of passing on the faith to our children. So let me ask you, as parents, as grandparents, as aunts, as uncles, as older brothers or sisters, what are you passing along to the next generation? Are they catching the faith that motivates you, drives you, anchors you? Or are they being driven away because they see nothing but phoniness, falseness, a lot of talk and no action, unable to walk what God has done in your life? Look at verse 6 from the NIV. It says, in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Verse 7, tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Now look at verse 24. He said in verse 24, he did this. So that all the peoples of the earth, we just switched from the Israelites, we just switched from the Hebrews crossing the Jordan and their descendants, to all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful so that you might always fear the Lord your God. And that word fear means reverence. Reverence the Lord your God. The purpose of those memorial stones is to cause questions to be asked by the generations following us. Let me ask you, does your life promote questions from those following you? Do they say to you, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, how did you get where you're at? I know you once were this, but now you're far from that. How did that happen? What occurred? What occurred in your life? Oh, friend, we need to understand this gospel is never more than one generation away from extinction. 
And if you and I fail to pass the gospel to those following us, we are failing in our responsibility, our assignment, our commission to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've heard so many people say, well, I don't want to force my teenagers to go to church. All right, then go get them out of jail. You need to think about that statement. You make them get up, you make them get out of bed, you make them eat right, you make them go to school every single day, but you don't want to make them go to church. The most important thing in the life of that child is to be exposed to the presence of God and the Word of God because it's the only thing that will transform their life. It's time to stop that stinking thinking and recognize I have a responsibility to pass the faith I have to the generation following me. And I will not abdicate that responsibility. I'll not miss it or pass it away. Listen, our world is growing darker and darker every day. I don't think I believe that. Well, you should because it's true. It's evidenced in every news report. I don't even watch the news anymore. It's depressing. Half of it's, or let me rephrase that, 99% of it is lies anyway. Why watch that garbage? No, you need to turn your attention to the Word of God. And what does the Word of God say? When our world goes darker, when life becomes more sinful, what are we going to pass on to our children and grandchildren that will enable them to live victorious lives? What are we passing on? The purpose of those 12 stones was to initiate questions from future generations, to cause those following them to have a desire to follow Him, to follow Jesus Christ. And so I'm not really sure the world's going, Doctor. Well, let me give you a brief history lesson. 1962, Madeline Murray O'Hare won her Supreme Court challenge and prayer was removed from schools. In 1963, Bible reading out loud was removed from schools. In 1973, the Supreme Court ruled that abortion was a constitutional right for every woman in the Roe versus Wade decision. Let me just pause there for just a moment. Do you realize that Planned Parenthood was established by a woman called Margaret Sanger? She actually opened in 1960 in New York City a birth control center called Birth Control Federation of America that morphed into Planned Parenthood. Do you realize that her desire, her aim, her goal with abortion was to exterminate, you ready for this? I'm using her words, not mine. I quote, to exterminate the Negro population. That was her goal. My goodness, folks, how can you support anything that wants to exterminate a portion of our population? My God, would you wake us up and let us see how horrible this world has become. Since 1973 in the U.S. alone, over 60 million babies have been murdered. Aborted is a much nicer term. It's cleaner. It's crisp. But the truth is murder. We know now from sonograms and 3D sonograms that very early stages of pregnancy, that infant feels pain. It moves, its heart's, heart beats. You're not murdering a fetus, you're murdering a baby. Creation of God. And do you realize that 38% of all aborted babies in America 
are from African-American mothers. And when you look at the statistics, only 13% of our population in America are African-American females. So when you extrapolate that math, you begin to see that Margaret Sanger is really still, even after death, accomplishing her goal. Now think about it. How many scientists have been murdered in the womb? How many doctors have died a premature death because they were aborted? How many inventors, entrepreneurs, lawyers, mechanics, plumbers, electricians, nurses, on and on, teachers, professors, have been aborted in that 60 million babies? How would our life and our society be improved if those little babies would have survived. Margaret Sanger went on to say, my goal is to create a race of thoroughbreds. You say, wow, do you know that one of her best friends was the man who was in charge of Hitler's eugenics program? Wake up, America. Wake up, church. Do you know that the next largest population of percentages of abortion are in Hispanics? Another segment she wanted to eliminate. We can go on and on right down the line. The statistics are there. They don't lie. Abortion is a darkness hovering over our country. In 1980, the Supreme Court ruled you can no longer post the Ten Commandments inside of a school. In 2000, they said there will be no more prayers over the PA before ball games, And now... Coaches are being prohibited from playing with their, praying with their players before or after a ball game. See, God's warning to Israel, when he said, don't forget, his warning to Israel was this, don't allow society to dictate your values. Yet, that's exactly what we have done. It's exactly what the church has done. Acts chapter 5 tells the story of Peter and John being thrown into prison by the Sanhedrin because they were preaching Jesus, whom the Sanhedrin had crucified. They put him in jail. They went to get him the next day, and they were gone because an angel of the Lord came in the night, opened the prison doors, and told them, go preach the wonderful works of Jesus. Go tell people what he has done. And so when they went to get him out of the prison, the guards came back and said, they're not there. We don't know where they're at. Acts 5.23 says the Sanhedrin were puzzled. And then they found, they heard that they were actually back in the temple in the courtyard preaching Jesus again. Verse 25 of Acts 5 says, so they brought them all before the Sanhedrin to be questioned. And they said, we gave you strict orders not to teach in Jesus' name. Then Peter and the other apostles said, we must obey God rather than man. I want that to set and soak for just a second. I want the children to hear it today. There is a mandate from the Word of God. When you know Jesus, you answer to Him, not to society. You answer to Him, not to evil governments. You answer to Him, not to unjust, immoral laws. You answer to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They said, we must obey God rather than man. 
We no longer, this is a strong statement, we no longer have leaders in the church who are willing to say, we must obey God rather than man. And as a result, we no longer have believers in the church who are willing to say, we must obey God rather than man. Instead, we're more concerned about being politically correct. More concerned about appeasing the flesh of our people. More concerned of being popular and growing a huge audience rather than saying, we must obey God rather than man. Folks, I make a commitment to you today. As long as I'm the pastor of this church, we will always obey God rather than man. We will always follow the dictates, the patterns prescribed for us in the Word of God. I'm not here to follow denominational leadership. I'm not here to say we're a part of this, that, or the other. I'm here to declare to you, we listen to the voice of God and we follow the voice of God. There is no other power, nowhere authority. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We must obey God rather than man. It's time for God's people to stand up and declare right is right, wrong is wrong. There is morality and immorality. It's all judged by the Word of God, not by the opinions of the legislature or whoever's in the White House. Can I tell you, I don't give a flip about what our president, this one or the past one, says. Because I'm not listening to his voice. I'm obeying the voice of God. You need to turn off CNN, turn off MSNBC, turn off Fox News, and tune in the Word of God. How do you stand in difficult times? By being in the Word. If you never open the book, if you never read the book, you will fall, you will fail, you'll be deceived. You'll be seduced by those who only want destruction for your life. But when you choose to stand, God brings strength and victory into your life. COVID has proven this to be so true in the church. Oh, you know, we have to shut everything down. You know, we can't have church. We might spread this virus. Oh, I got a virus I want you to spread. His name is the Holy Ghost. I want you to be so full of Him that every time you come in contact with someone else, the supernatural begins to flow through you. The power of God begins to stop and arrest them right where they're at. And they turn to you and say, what must we do to be saved? We must obey God. Do you know there are, and I use this term very loosely, churches in this very city that are still shuttered? Still closed over fear of a virus. Look, I'm not downplaying COVID. It's real. I know people who have had it. My sister died from complications due to heart problems and then contracting COVID. And to be honest with her, she didn't have COVID when they put her in the COVID hospital. But two days later, she tested positive. Her family was isolated from her. No one could get in to see her, talk to her, pray for her. She made it 10 days. And then she passed away. COVID is real. The virus is real. But I've got news for you. I serve a God who is greater. I serve a God who's more powerful. I serve a God who's able. 
We've got a lot of folks who are a part of this church who've had COVID, not getting it from here, but from other associations. And the good news is you came through it. You're part of the 99% that survived. You shouldn't be complaining and moaning and groaning. Oh, I had COVID. I was so sick. No, you should be standing on your feet declaring the life of God is in me. The breath of God flows through me. I'm stronger. I'm well able. I will not be pulled down. I overcame by the power of God. The disease was conquered by Jesus in my life. Come on, folks, it's time to change your testimony. I've heard too many people telling me, oh, I've had COVID. I was so sick. I didn't think, literally, I thought I was going to die. Do you hear what that confession says? I thought I was going to die. Get over yourself Get a hold of the power of God, submerge yourself in God's word, and let him bring you through the 99% that survived this virus. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. Stop remembering the slavery. Remember the rescue. Remember the rescue. Joshua said for the 12 men to take 12 stones, carry them from the middle of the Jordan, and put them where they would lodge that night. The place is called Gilgal. And the purpose was to say to generations to come, this is what God did for us. So rather than using your testimony to solicit, I'm going to say it. Rather than using your testimony to solicit people feeling sorry for you, why don't you use your testimony to give honor and glory to God? I've got news for you. It's not too much. It's not too hard. You are well able. You will overcome. You will come through. You will be healed. You will be restored. Change your testimony and declare the works of God. Use some oaky vernacular. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. Pull up your pants, put on your boots, and get back in the fight. Get back in the fight. People lay out of church for weeks or months because I had COVID. Well, you're over it. Get back in the fight. Quit feeling sorry. Yeah, you need to hear me. I will not feel sorry for you. I will not do it. Get a grip, get over it, let the power of God move through your life. Yes, you were sick, but you're not now. Yes, you did have it, but you don't now. Yes, it did make you put in the hospital, but you're out now. Oh, come on, somebody. Do you hear what I'm saying? Change your testimony and declare the good works of God. And number three, we'll try to wrap this up. The marker, those stones were placed there need to hear this, to say goodbye to the past, to say goodbye to the past, to remind them of the promises of God for the promised land, to remind them you're no longer a slave, you're no longer wandering in the wilderness, the promise of God is being enacted in your life, move forward, move forward, it's to be a memorial. That Jordan River was a line they crossed from their journey from Egypt into the promised land. 
from their journey of disobedience into a place of obedience. From the place they were living in tents to a place they were living in houses and cities they did not build. From the place that they were eating manna and quail every day to the place that they were harvesting crops they never planted. They were eating from vineyards and fields they never tilled because God brought them through and fulfilled his promise. It's a memorial. And it's significant. Listen to this. Verses 19 and 20 of Joshua chapter 4. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan, camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho, and Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. What did he say? He said, on the tenth day of the first month. If you go back and read the story of the Exodus, you will find that it was exactly 40 years to the day when they walked out of Egypt, out of slavery, and they walked into the promise of God. Oh, folks, it shouldn't have taken 40 years. That was their disobedience. That was their disbelief in God's power. But finally, to the day, 40 years, God fulfilled His promise and brought them through. Some of you are sitting here wondering and waiting. I'm telling you, the promise is on the way. It's time to believe God is, well, able to move you through. We serve a God of deliverance. He delivered the people out of Egypt into the promised land, out of the desert, into a land flowing with milk and honey, out of slavery to owning their own homes, their farms, their vineyards. He delivered the apostles from jail. He brought them out to preach the gospel again. John chapter 5, verses 5 through 10. The story is recorded of Jesus once again going to the temple during a feast. I'm just going to read it for you. One was there who, who has been an invalid for 38 years, talking about the pool of Siloam. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been conditioned in this condition for so long, he asked him, do you want to get well? What a question. He's asking some of you that today. Do you want to get well? And when he asked that question, the man didn't say yes, but what did he say? He said, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the waters are stirred. When I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Now, what was he saying? He was saying, the only way I know to get well is to get in that pool and be the first one there. Then I'll be healed. But Jesus is saying to him, don't think that way. Don't look that way. I'm asking you a direct question. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to receive healing? Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. Can you imagine how different his life was from that day forward? 38 years unable to walk, laying on a mat, hoping that someone would throw him into that pool when the angels turned the waters and maybe he would be healed. And then one day this man shows up and he looks at him and he says, do you want to be healed? Can I tell you that man showing up today? He's walking these aisles. He's speaking to you online. And he's saying to you, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be delivered? Do you want to be set free? Do you want your sins forgiven? If so, get up and walk. Respond to him. Listen and remember this. Many times the promise is just a step away. Just a step away. When Joshua and the priest put their feet in that water, what happened? The promise was fulfilled. 
the waters rolled back, the ground was dried out, and Israel walked across on dry ground. When the apostles were put into jail, an angel showed up in the night, opened the door, said, go preach again. It's just a step away. When the lame man was lying by the pool of of Siloam, pardon me, you can read it in the scriptures, Jesus said, arise, take up your bed, and walk just a step away. Stand your feet with me across this room. Tom, come back. At the end of every aisle, there's a piece of green tape, every aisle in the sanctuary. This is symbolic. It's symbolic, but you understand when we do things in the physical, they have ramifications in the spiritual. I'm asking you today the same question that Jesus asked the man at the pool of Siloam. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to experience deliverance? Do you want to be forgiven? Do you want to be set free? Do you want God to change your life? Listen, there's no shame in what we're about to do. There's only victory. There's only joy. There's only celebration in what I'm about to ask you to do. But if you're in this room today, you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, ask Him to forgive you of your sins, transform you from the inside out, wash away all that ugliness and blackness that was in your life, and give you a clean heart and a renewed heart, and give you hope, future, and peace in your life. If you've never asked Him to do that, then I want you to step out right now. I'm waiting for you. Step out right now, and you're going to cross this line saying, I want Jesus to do in me what he's done for others. I want him to forgive me and to come into my life. I'm waiting just a moment. You want him to do that for you? Step out from where you're standing and move forward. Cross that green line. Just wait just a moment. You're in this room this morning, and you say, Pastor, this message was just for me. Yes, thank you, sir. Anyone else want to join this man today? He said, I'm going to cross the line, ask Jesus to forgive my sins. Anyone else you want to join him this morning? This is your time. This is your moment. Yes, thank you, ma'am. Anyone else you want to cross that line? Say, I'm going to let Jesus take control of my life. Yes, sir. Thank you. Forgive me of my sins. Transform me and change me. I don't want to be the person I am. I want to be the person he made me to be. Anyone else you want to join these three? Come on, it takes courage to step out and cross that line. But when you do, you find forgiveness. You find relief. You find hope. You find peace that's been so elusive in your life. You find Jesus who never leaves you and never forsakes you. You find a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's you. You need to step out and cross that line this morning. Anyone else? I'm giving you just another moment. This is your time, your opportunity. Step out and come. Yes, sir, that's it. Come right on down here with us. Anyone else? Anyone else? Your chance, your opportunity. Come on, we're going to celebrate what God's doing in your life. We're going to give Him praise and glory because He redeems. He forgives. Changes our lives. Anyone else? Just a moment. Anyone else? Miss Ellen, Dwellers, would you come please? Yvonne, would you come? Pastor Isaiah, come please. I'm going to pray with you guys. And then Missy Ellen Joel is right over there. I'm going to take you back to the green room. They're going to pray with you individually, give you some information, invite you to a new believers class, give you a Bible if you don't have one. Nothing scary about it. It doesn't take long. But they want to invest in your life. Right now, pray with me, would you? Pray this out loud. Every one of you. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. But I believe you died to save me. Forgive me of my sins. 
I repent of the things I've done, the life I've lived that did not honor you. I repent of the sin in my life. And I ask you to be my Savior and to be my Lord. Come in and change me today. Transform me today. Make me a new creature today. In Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer in faith, He's doing that very thing in you right now. Repentance brings transformation. As we confess our sins, He forgives us of our sins. Right now, would you all turn and go with Missy Ellen Joalis? They're going to give you that information you need. Missy Ellen, will you lead them out? Come on, let's welcome them into the kingdom of God, into the family of God. Hallelujah. Praise your Father. Now it's for you, folks. Now it's for you, folks. If you're here today and you're saying, you know what? I'm going to be one of those who say, I will obey God rather than man. I'm going to be in the Word rather than in the media. I'm going to hear what the Lord says rather than what man says. I'm going to ask Holy Spirit to transform me and to fill me and make me the person, the man, the woman of God I should be. That's you. Come right now. Come right now. You're going to take a stand today for all that is righteous and holy and true and let God move in your life. Come on right now from across this room. Across this room. If you're online, stand with me right where you're at. Stand in your living room. Stand in your family room. Invite those with you to join us in standing and making this decision, this declaration. I will hear and speak the word of God. I will be as the apostles of old. I cannot obey men. I must obey God. I must obey God. I must obey God. Let's wait just a moment for others to come. If you're standing in this altar, lift your hands right now. When we lift our hands, it's simply a sign of surrender. We're surrendering to Jesus Christ. We're saying to Him, do with me what you want to do. Do with me what you desire, what you plan. I'm no longer the captain of my ship. You are. So do your work in me. Father, right now across this room, hands are lifted. Hearts are open. Holy Spirit is falling. I pray for an endowment and empowerment from on high to fall on these individuals to enable them to stand in the decision that they have made. To stand in the place where they declare it's better to obey God rather than man. To stand in the place where they remember all the good things that you have done for their lives. Every time you've invested in them and poured your life out upon them. God, right now, Spirit of God, fall on them. Holy Spirit, fill them. Let the mighty wind of the Spirit sweep through our lives. Let you those cloven tongues of fire fall on us as they did on the day of Pentecost. Fill your believers with fire and with passion from the Holy Spirit of God. No more milk toast Christians. No more spineless believers. But today... You are raising up men and women who are warriors, mighty warriors in the kingdom of God. And you're thrusting them to the front lines of the battlefield to use them to bring in a great harvest that's already ready. Father, empower them right now. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. The last thing I want to do this morning is every student, no matter the level, Every educator, regardless of your position, 
whether you're a teacher, a professor, a principal, an administrator, a classroom assistant, regardless of your role, if you're still back there, step out and come. We're going to pray for you right now. As this school year starts, can you make an aisle right there and let them come through? Let them slip right up here to the front. Couture, bring your kids over here. Youth, move over here to the center, please. Move over this way. Let these guys be right here in the center. You don't have to sit down. You can just step back a bit because we're going to pray for them and pray over them. We're going to believe God to do a great work. Slide on over this way if you can. A little bit more. Amen. Teachers, educators, students from every level, fill this altar right now. Amen. Hallelujah. Hey, Delilah. Would you join with me? Elders and deacons, feel free to step out, stand behind them, around them, put a hand on their shoulder. If you have a son, a daughter, a wife, a spouse, a brother or sister that's in this altar right now, that's an educator or a student, would you come and just put your hand on their back? Let them know you're supporting, you're standing with them, standing behind them. Listen, our system is designed to turn people away from God. To convince people at an early age, there is no God. He doesn't exist. But I've come today to tell you we serve a God who is most high, a God who is able, a God who gives strength and courage and faith into the hearts of all ages and all levels. And these children, these young adults, these students and teachers are a beacon, a beacon of light in a darkened world. Thank you for giving your life in education, teachers. Thank you for giving your life to mold and shape our future generations. And may the blessing of the Most High God, may His favor fall on you. May He fill you with wisdom, guidance, and direction that comes only from the throne of God. May He every day give you a fresh outpouring and infilling of His Holy Spirit. May your words, your life, your action reflect the goodness and the grace of our mighty God. And may He use your life to change the lives of those that are under the sound of your voice. May your influence be mighty. May your presence be evident every time you walk onto that campus. May you be the one who turns other educators, administrative staff, toward the light of Jesus Christ. Because in you, they see something that's different. Something that doesn't look like everyone else. Let Jesus flow through you. Let Jesus fall on you. Let Him guide you and direct you. And now, Father, I lift up one of these students before you. From the youngest to the oldest. From kindergarten to doctoral degrees. I lift them before you right now. And I pray for the mighty favor and grace of God to fall upon their lives. I pray for Holy Spirit to surround them. Lord, I pray for them. Just like we pray for our grandkids every day. Would you put angels with flaming swords of fire round about them. Protecting them. Keeping the evil one away and at bay. Giving them the strength, the courage, and the ability to live for the Most High God. And may these children become lights in a dark place. Witnesses to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Examples of what God does in our lives. 
I pray that you would bless them and that you would keep them. That you would cause them to excel in their education. You'd cause them to stand out to the educators, the administrators, under whom tutelage they serve and learn. Bless their lives today. And I pray for their parents. I pray that you give parents strength and courage to stand in this evil day. And when they see something that isn't right in the system, confront the wrong. Confront the evil. Give parents the courage to say, we will obey God rather than man. We will obey God rather than man. I pray it in the name that's above every name. Tom, sing it out. Sing this great old song with me. I have decided to follow Jesus. You made it to the end of the message, and now what? Is God leading you to make a change? Are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ? Then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sharer Road in Tallahassee, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Sunday morning service is at 10.30 and Wednesday night service at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For more information, visit our website, allnationstallahassee.com.